0: Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for January, February and March 2014. Titled Discipleship, it's brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 11 for March 8 to 14, Discipling Spiritual Leaders. Sabbath Afternoon, March 8. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that each of us has been called to be a disciple, a follower, a spreader of the good news. And as we open your word this week, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us. May your word come alive, that it may be alive in our lives, that we may want to and be able to share the love that comes through the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, We pray in his dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray, and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve whom he also named Apostles. While Jesus was ever active in making disciples, he recognized that his earthly sojourn was short. Therefore, he invested himself in the training of disciples to continue the work after he left. He was both their master teacher and their master trainer. While teaching and training are obviously related, teaching usually connotes the impartation of knowledge – whereas training suggests formation or qualification through practice and discipline. The disciples' preparation for leadership certainly involved the receiving of knowledge, but spiritual growth was uppermost. They needed an experience in the things of God, of faith, of hardship, of sanctification, and of self-sacrifice, along with an intellectual understanding of doctrine and theology. Knowledge alone was in sufficient preparation for the rigorous challenges ahead. Jesus gave them both. <music> Sunday, March 9, Leadership Starts Here Christ's earthly sojourn was relatively brief. Therefore, the training of disciple-makers was imperative. Who should be selected? How many should be chosen? Jesus' disciples doubtless numbered in the hundreds. Should everyone undergo mass education? Christ understood that leadership was effectively cultivated within small groups, not mass-produced through lectureships. Limited numbers would be chosen for Christ's initial graduating class. Question. Study Luke 6, verses 12-16. What did Jesus do before he chose his disciples, and why was that so important? Luke 6, verse 12. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray, and continued all night in prayer to God. And, when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles, Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alpheus, and Simon called the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. Choosing effectively required advanced wisdom, Jesus approached His Heavenly Father through prayer to acquire that wisdom. Likewise, prayer should precede the selection of leadership candidates in 21st century disciple-making. Since Christ apparently believed that He needed extensive prayer in order to obtain the wisdom required, how much more should today's Christians petition for divine wisdom when choosing those charged with overseeing the progress of the Great Commission? Having chosen twelve, Jesus designated them apostles. His commissioned representatives invested with spiritual authority. The larger group of disciples witnessed this ordaining or commissioning with no apparent jealousy or negative feelings. Later, Jesus would commission larger groups of seventy-two and perhaps others not recorded within Scripture. The Twelve Apostles, however, retained the identity of those most closely associated with Jesus. They shouldered the largest responsibilities and therefore required the most extensive training and commitment. This arrangement clearly implies intentional organisational structure among the earliest Christians. Christ spiritually invested the leaders within that organisation with capabilities and education commensurate to their assigned tasks. So, to finish today, think through the implications of how much time Jesus spent in prayer. What should that tell us about our own prayer lives? What does prayer do for you? Monday, March 10, Knowledge and Experience, Part 1 Information was an irreplaceable component of Jesus' message. Information alone cannot transform, but every transformation includes information. Certainly, concepts possess no inherent power for initiating change – God's Spirit, however, working through human hearts, constitutes the irreplaceable element necessary for conversion. Question. Read John chapter 16, verses 7-14. to 14. What is Jesus saying here that helps us to understand how limited intellectual knowledge is, in and of itself, in the understanding and experiencing of true Christianity? John chapter 16, beginning at verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Biblical knowledge, coupled together with God's divine spirit, form the spiritual combination that transforms individuals and societies. It is for both of these that the disciple-maker must strive in faith and study. Christianity highly regards intelligence, thinking and imagination. The existence of reasoned thought throughout Scripture, the tremendous respect afforded teachers within Judaism, and the priceless attention that scribes devoted to preserving ancient writings, all testify to the importance of knowledge. Christianity is not an irrational faith. Nevertheless, certain elements within Christianity have elevated emotion, feeling, and experience above knowledge. This mindset declares that what people believe is relatively unimportant because experience alone is meaningful. Obedience and adherence to specific truths are deemed relatively unimportant. Emotion and religious excitement become the measuring stick for spiritual genuineness. Scripture's very existence counters this mindless fascination with experience. Experience without knowledge becomes a supercharged missile without direction. Conversely, knowledge without experience becomes lifeless and oftentimes legalistic. True, Christian leaders understand the need to cultivate both these elements, not only in themselves, but in those they disciple. So to finish today, think through all the good reasons that you have for your faith. At the same time, what role has experience played, and why do we need both? And I'm going to read the last sentence from the last paragraph with a different emphasis. True Christian leaders understand the need to cultivate both these elements, not only in themselves, but also in those they disciple. Tuesday, March 11, Knowledge and Experience, Part 2 Question. Read Luke chapter 6, verses 20 to 49. In what ways are both knowledge and experience revealed in these texts? That is, how are they blended here in a way that shows why both are needed, not only in our own walk with the Lord, but in disciple-making as well? Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 20. Then he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and cast out your name as evil, for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven." for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. But I say to you who hear, Love your enemies, Do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And, just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, "'Brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye, "'when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye. "'Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, "'and then you will see clearly to remove the speck "'that is in your brother's eye. "'For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, "'nor does a bad tree bear good fruit, "'for every tree is known by its own fruit. "'For men do not gather figs from thorns, "'nor do they gather grapes from a bramble-bush.' A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good, and an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not say the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house, and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Spiritual Knowledge is Indispensable for Spiritual Transformation Christ himself was regarded as the master teacher. Amid open classrooms bordered by seashores, mountains and God's created wonders, Christ disseminated transformative knowledge. The Holy Spirit awakened previously seared consciences to accept these truths. Disciple-making is incomplete without experience, but experience must be directed by knowledge. Twenty-first century disciple-makers must thoroughly acquaint themselves with Scripture, the source of authentic spiritual information. Likewise, they should disseminate doctrine and teachings without regard to popularity or convenience. God expects seasoned believers to withhold nothing, patiently guiding infant converts into an ever-expanding understanding and appreciation for the wonderful, life-changing truths of Christianity especially the present truth of the three angels' messages. So, to finish the day, in the context of making disciples, what does Jesus say in Luke 6.39 that everyone who seeks to make disciples must keep in mind? How can we be sure that we are not like that which Jesus is warning about here? And Luke 6.39 reads, And he spoke a parable to them and said, Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? In the end, a combination of knowledge and experience that produces unselfish love will be the most potent force for any disciple-maker to possess. Day, March 12, The Early Leaders It's of no small interest and importance that, in choosing leaders, Jesus picked from among the humbler, less-educated class of people. Christ did not choose the learning or eloquence of the Sanhedrin. Passing by the self-righteous teachers, the master worker chose humble, unlearned men to proclaim the truths that were to move the world. These men he purposed to train and educate as the leaders of his church. They in turn were to educate others and send them out with the gospel message. As Ellen White wrote in the Acts of the Apostles, page 17, that they might have success in their work, they were to be given the power of the Holy Spirit. Not by human might or human wisdom was the gospel to be proclaimed, but by the power of God. Question. What do the following texts tell us about why Christ chose the ones he did to lead his church, as opposed to those who many might deem as having the qualities needed for leadership? First of all, we look at Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 3. Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth who have upheld his justice. Seek righteousness, seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. And Matthew chapter 11, and verse 29, Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And Jeremiah 50, verse 31, Behold, I am against you. O most haughty ones, says the Lord God of hosts, for your day will come, the time that I will punish you. And Isaiah 57, verse 15, For thus says the High and Lofty One who inhabits eternity, whose name is Holy, I dwell in the High and Holy Place, with Him who has a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble, and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. We must be careful, though, to not make wrong assumptions about why Jesus chose the ones that He did. Jesus was not against the educated or learned class. He himself displayed at a young age, as we record in Luke chapter 2, verses 46 and 47, a great deal of knowledge. It's just that so often those with the most education, wealth or power, aren't ready to humble themselves in the way that people, especially leaders, need to in order for the Lord to be able to use them. This is not always the case, of course. The Lord did use such men. Think of Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea. Also look at Acts 6, verse 7. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. It just means that so often these types tend not to be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so, to finish today... Read 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 19 and Philippians chapter 2 verse 3. What traits are expressed here and why are these traits so important, so crucial not just for a leader but for anyone who professes the name of Christ. How can we learn to possess these traits in our own lives? 1 Corinthians 9:19. 9, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And Philippians chapter 2 verse 3, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Thursday, March 13, What Jesus Left Future generations testify regarding the success of previous efforts. Whenever those efforts generate lasting results, the principles underlying those accomplishments should be studied and replicated. Did Christ's disciple-making methodology produce significant outcomes? Of course it did. It changed the world. None of us, in fact, would be reading this Bible study guide more than 2,000 years later were it not for Christ's success in His training of early church leaders. Question. Read Acts chapter 1. What does this first chapter in the formation of the early church show us about the need for God-ordained leaders? What were they looking for in a leader? And we'll see that in verse 22. What can we take away from this need for ourselves as we seek the right leaders? Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. "'You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, "'and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria "'and to the end of the earth.' "'Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, "'he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. "'And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, "'behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, "'who also said, "'Men of Galilee,' Why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And, when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John... And Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples, altogether the number of names was about a hundred and twenty, and said, Men and brethren... This scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out, and it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem. So that field is called in their own language, Akul Dharma, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it. And let another take his office. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was named Justice, and Matthias, And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Jesus established his kingdom and exemplified the principles that would perpetuate its growth. Pioneering the pathway through darkness to sunrise, Christ selected leaders whose weaknesses were overshadowed by his strength because they completely depended upon him. Although lightly esteemed by the religious leaders and academically deficient, they outshined the Pharisees where it counted. Transparency, humility, dependence and authenticity. How crucial that all of us, whatever our positions in the Church, display such characteristics. Over time, those who possessed a substantial formal education and an elevated social standing became part of the Church. As Ellen White wrote in the Acts of the Apostles, pages 22 and 23, As Christ's representatives, the Apostles were to make a decided impression on the world. The fact that they were humble men would not diminish their influence, but increase it. For the minds of their hearers would be carried from them to the Saviour, who, though unseen, was still working with them. The wonderful teaching of the apostles, their words of courage and trust, would assure all that it was not in their own power that they worked, but in the power of Christ. So to finish the day. What do you look for in church leaders and why? What are the top three things that you want to see in them? Bring your answers to class on Sabbath and compare answers. Friday, March 14. From the Desire of Ages, page 351, we read All over the field of Christ's labour there were souls awakened to their need and hungering and thirsting for truth. The time had come to send the tidings of his love to these longing hearts. To all these the disciples were to go as his representatives. The believers would be led to look upon them as divinely appointed teachers and, when the Saviour should thus be taken from them, they would not be left without instructors. On this first tour, the disciples were to go only where Jesus had been before them and had made friends. Their preparation for the journey was to be of the simplest kind. Nothing must be allowed to divert their minds from their great work or in any way excite opposition and close the door for further labour. And that brings us to our three discussion questions. 1. In class, discuss your answer to Thursday's final question. What can you learn from each other's answers? 2. Read Acts 6, 1-6. Why does the incident here reveal one of the reasons as to why the church needs good leaders? Beginning at verse 1, Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business." but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. 3 dwell more on this idea of a balance between experience and knowledge in the Christian life. Is it possible that different people will need different balances? That is, some people will put more of an emphasis on experience than they do on knowledge, while others will focus more on knowledge than they do experience. If so, how can we learn to be sensitive to that difference in our efforts to make disciples? How can we learn that perhaps what we need isn't exactly what others will need? And also look at this text in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 22. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. How does this text reveal the differences between knowledge and experience? Side story. Our mission story this week comes from China. Ziang shares God's love with people in northern China. It's titled "Mission Possible." Sister Ziang was riding on the train when a woman had a health emergency. Another woman hurried to help the sick woman, praying over her and crying, "You should believe in God." The woman's words remained with Sister Ziang even after she left the train. She searched for a Christian church and found a house church. There she met Jesus and found a peace and a joy she'd never known. But the house church was far from her home, so she organised a house church closer to home and invited people to worship there. She became passionate about sharing God's love with others. Then she met some Seventh-day Adventists who showed her from the Bible that the Sabbath was not Sunday, but Saturday. She read the Bible texts again and again until she was convinced that the Sabbath was indeed God's holy day. Sister Ziang eagerly told her fellow believers and friends what she had discovered. One by one they joined her in worshipping on Sabbath. Sister Ziang begged the Adventist church in the nearby city to send them a teacher. The church sent a layman to study with them. They had few Bibles and no hymnals. So they copied Bible texts and songs to use. The small group of believers quickly grew to more than the house could hold. They divided and continued to grow. In three years, they established five churches and several house churches, all led by Sister Ziang. The government ordered Sister Ziang to stop the religious meetings. Day after day, Sister Ziang and another believer went to the government office of religion and prayed silently for permission to worship together. Finally, the governor allowed the Adventists to build a church. The believers in the area swarmed to help build the church, which was completed in three months. Several daughter house churches continued to meet. Within two years, the believers had built five more churches with congregations from 50 to 500 people. Sister Ziang attended lay training classes held in the Mother Church in the area. Today, with nine churches, nine house churches and 800 members, she says that the greatest need continues to be for trained lay leaders and lay evangelists to help reach the people in neighbouring communities and introduce them to Jesus. It's how we grow, she says. They are hungry, but they don't know that Jesus can fill their every need. We must tell them. Please pray for the believers in China and around the world and continue giving your mission offerings that make mission outreach possible. Your reader this week has been Dr. Percy Harold. The lessons have been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember that God is always faithful.